dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Christian leaders follow Christ. Even though it seems contradictory to say that leaders follow, this is what makes our leadership special. It's not about us. It's about Him and the influence that He gives to the world through us. The Virgin Mary demonstrates this admirably in her own life. She is Christ's perfect servant by doing everything that she can to make Him known and loved. We can see this throughout His apostolic life, but especially at two key moments. All right, everybody, so let's talk now about our leadership. And the right away from that term, I want to be really clear. Leadership is not defined for Christians as it is defined for worldly people. Not that worldly people are bad or that the world is bad in this particular scenario. It's just that we have something unique to offer. For the Christian, everything that we do is called to be an act of leadership. You can underscore that in your book a million different ways if you want to, okay? We have no neutral zone where we say, you know what? Here, I'm just like everybody else. Here is where I follow what everybody else does. Even if there's ways and levels at which we, you know, uh, uh, accustom ourselves to social mores and we do things like everyone else, a Christianity is by its nature always assertive. Okay, you are a member of the body of Christ. Okay, this is not a small thing. It means that you literally are attached to him in a way that he radiates his presence and his influence into the world through you. Okay, so as I'm looking out at you, I'm saying, well, many of you don't really realize that. This is new news, okay, but it shouldn't be. In fact, this is the beauty of what a Christian is. A Christian is like a mirror. The light comes in through the sunshine, for example, through the window, but the mirror takes that sunlight and it it moves it into the corners of the room, into dark areas of life where otherwise the sun would never hit. Christ wants to use us like those mirrors to be in our companies, to be in the boardrooms, to be in, in, the, in, the, in the meetings, the one-on-ones with our managers, to be in the relationships on the baseball team, right? For our kids to, to understand the, the inner workings of our spouse's heart. He, he, he wants us to take him into those places where genuine humanity is found. Wherever humanity is, that's where Jesus wants to go. And so he uses humans to extend his kingdom by asking the humans to be his instruments. Okay, this is how it works. So a Christian is, wherever a Christian is, Christ is supposed to follow because wherever Christ is, the Christian is supposed to follow. <laughs> so I love these type of paradoxes. These plays on words, right? Because, but, but you can understand it. Like if I'm really following Christ, then I'm bringing him into my world. Following Jesus makes me a leader of the world. And it's, but it makes me a leader always and everywhere. 
And it's something I need to constantly reiterate with you because so many people end up saying, I'm not a leader. This, my faith life isn't about leading. I'm just a simple mom or I'm just a simple, whatever, secretary, or I'm just a simple worker on the line in the industry. I'm, and then you could just go further because I'm just a lawyer. I'm just a dentist. I'm just a doctor. In the end, everybody is just a something if you want to look at your life that way. But you're not called to define yourself as a Christian like the world defines you and say, well, I'm just doing my job. It's, it's more than that. When you're a Christian, you're bringing Christ into the world through your job. You're bringing Christ into the world through your family. It's no small thing to lead a family. <laughs> and that means that everything that I'm doing is in one way or the other coming from that deep orientation in my soul to make Jesus known to make him loved. And that's because when I became his disciple, I was sent by Jesus as a member of his body into this world as a priest for this world, okay? Which means that I'm supposed to bring the world to God and bring God to the world to, to make an intermediary of grace and holiness wherever I go, to be a prophet, which means to speak the word of God in truth into this world, right? To guide it by, the, by a word that comes from above. And then a king, which means literally to use my influence and the authority that I have in this world uh, in order to govern the world correctly, to bring the world to its fulfillment, right? In Christ. And so everything that I'm doing is going to flow from that from helping my kids learn how to tie their shoes <laughs> to making sure that my, my husband is, is, is built up in the Lord and it is given the support that he needs to making sure that my wife is, is, is taken care of and is radiating beauty and grace everywhere that she goes and has her head held high to making sure that my company glorifies God by the culture that's within it and the way that we work and what we do with it. I mean, so in, in, in other words, I'm always busy working for the Lord in everything that I'm doing, okay? It might not even look like work. It might not look like leadership. But if in fact I do it intentionally then I, and I do it in a way that's aligned with the goodness of my soul, well then I am bringing God effectively into this world. And that's what a Christian is. Christians are assertive. Christianity is an assertive religion. We are not neutral. There is, there's no place in Christianity where we simply say, well here, this isn't where Jesus reigns, right? Jesus isn't called to reign here. This is just where normal stuff is. <laughs> this is where a lot of people think, you know, they, we kind of have like our religious sphere and then our normal sphere. And that's just, that's not the way we need to look at it. When you look at it that way, in, in a real sense, you're allowing the normal sphere of your life to be deprived of the beautiful radiance that comes from your faith. I mean, why would we want the earth to not be touched by heaven? And, well, and, why, and then why would we want our work to not be transformed by grace? You know, think about it. Why would we let our culture, wherever we are, in whatever aspects we're talking about, why would we let it be foreign to the great and good news of the love of God and the life of God that flows through us into it? I don't think we ever should. I think on the contrary, it's up to us to have that kind of drive inside of us, Right to not let things stay neutral, but instead to, to bring the hope, 
the beautiful love that charity is in our hearts, the fire of God there where we live. And that's up to us. But to do that, of course, that's the goal. And that's why Jesus made his disciples. Now, this is why he came into the world. This is what the beauty of his apostolic life was. He left Nazareth behind in order to preach the gospel, to preach the kingdom of heaven, and to make the relationship with the Father a part of every aspect of the, 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 the world of his time. And then, of course, he sends the 12 apostles with a mission to do the same. And that's all wonderful. And those 12 apostles become the structure of the visible church, which is then extended through the presbyters, through the priests, as an extension of the apostles, but into the hearts of the baptized. In a very real way, then, every baptized person is given that same mandate that lived out differently, lived one as a baptized person, another as an ordained minister, but given the mandate to take the gospel to the, into every aspect of their life, into every aspect of society. And that mandate would have also been, of course, lived in a preeminent way by Our Lady, in a way unlike any other, in a way better than any other. And that's what I want to look at because you might not be able to follow uh, the, the apostolic call to be an ordained minister in the church. But you can indeed, and you must follow this call of all the baptized to be a priest, a prophet, and a king there where you are. And there, Our Lady becomes an amazing example of it. She wasn't St. Paul. She wasn't St. Peter. But she was, in a way, the mother of St. Paul and the mother of St. Peter because she lived what on the inside what they had in their hearts from Christ. And she lived it better, more perfectly, more intensely. And therefore she can teach them how to be the best leaders of the church and the best leaders in the world as possible. And she can do the same for us. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. Now in the gospel, there's not a lot written about how Our Lady followed Christ during his apostolic life. You just have to admit that. There's not a lot there in the scriptures. But there are two scenes that I really want us to look at. And the first is a scene that's seldom commented on, and it's in John chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. In it we read, After this, Jesus went around to Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. Okay, so it explains very clearly that he had an intention. He did not want to go to Judea. Judea is the southern part of the kingdom at the time, right? He was in the northern aspects, and he didn't want to go to the big city, into Judea. And he says, because the leaders were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. Now, right away, that word Jesus' brothers doesn't mean his blood brothers in the sense of immediate kin. It means his extended family, his cousins, his nephews, the, 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 the bigger part of the family, because, of course, Mary only had Jesus. She didn't have other children. But the point isn't that. The point is that here you've got the, 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 his kin approaching him, a family situation. Now, Jesus at this point is, what, 31, 32 years old? And he's got his, his brothers come around him and they say, leave Galilee, go to Judea 
so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. So they're saying to do exactly what he does not want to do. And they give their own reasoning behind it, their own motivation, right? So you have pressure here coming on to Jesus. Don't follow what you know is true in your heart. Don't act out of your own convictions. Act out of our convictions, okay? So you have a pressure here being exerted upon him from his own family members. In verse four, they go even further. They say, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. So not only do they tell him to do something that it, other than what he's already decided that he's going to do, but they justify it based upon a kind of common wisdom. Isn't it amazing? These people, this is Jesus' own kin, end up using a worldly way of wisdom to pressure Jesus into acting in a way different from how he intended to act. Isn't it? It's amazing because it's like they are not following him. They're asking him to follow them. But interestingly, they're not really leaders either because they're not saying, listen, this is the way we're going to, they're following the maxims of the world. So they're the ones who are really leading is whoever it is that's determined that if you want to be a public figure, you need to act not in secret, but you need to act in a visible way. So whoever determined that is suddenly running the whole show. And these guys are simply saying, yeah, we have that in our heads. That must be the right way. And we're going to pressure Jesus into that. It's an important moment because for many of us, we have the same way of understanding. We want God to do things our way. And we don't want to let Jesus have his own prerogatives in our lives. We want to say, okay, God, so this is how it works. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but you had better do this, this, and this. <laughs> and you had better not do this, this, and this. Why? Because it doesn't make sense, right? I'm not going to let you do things that don't make sense to me. Now, just remember that. When, when, whenever you find yourself in that situation, of course, you're very human. This is something that happens to us all. But on the other hand, you're very wrong because who is God after all? You or Jesus? Like, right? Who's going to be able to know the best way to live? It's just that we have a hard time accepting that Jesus will lead us in a way difficult for our human understanding to accept. And in verse 5, it tells us why his brethren thought this. It said, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now, a lot of Catholics especially aren't familiar with this particular text because it's not read during the liturgical cycle of the year. So for many of you, you look at that, you say, I never even knew that was in Scripture. Well, of course, I want to just exhort you to read your Bibles, right? Because it is in Scripture. It's just you're not. <laughs> That's there, but you're not. So now we're going to bring that out for you, right? Because that means that in the family of Jesus— that not his immediate family because Mary and Joseph only had Jesus, right? And Jesus came from God, not from Joseph. So there's one child there. But in their extended family, their kin, Mary's relatives, and Jesus's relatives being of the family tree of Mary and Joseph going further up in the line there, they did not believe in Christ. So number one, I want to just bring this out for many of you who suffer because you say, my own children don't believe. And that in my family, we have people that used to be believers and then they've fallen away and they've left the faith behind. And you feel like such utter failures almost. And some people even feel like that's a cause of rejection. Like I, I'm so imperfect and so flawed in my parenting that my kids don't believe anymore in the faith. And I just want to point out with consolation to you 
that even in Jesus's own family and the Virgin Mary's own family, there were people who did not believe in Christ. Okay, so they, they fell away even in the, and I thought this, isn't that just remarkable and consoling for all of us to remember this and to see Mary shared our sorrow, how deep she must have been you know, in sorrow about the fact that her own kin wouldn't believe in Christ. They wouldn't even follow him. And, and yet she did. She followed him all the way to the cross and she followed him all the way to the tomb and she followed him all the way through the resurrection, even when others didn't. This is the very first lesson that I see here for Our Lady in her leadership. To be free from what other people decide to do. As we go through our lives as Christians, we need to be able to have that freedom. The meekness of heart, meaning a heart that is unperturbed by all the difficulties that come our way. Because we are in the hands of Christ, we have made our decision and our commitment to him and now we follow in that footsteps, regardless of whether other people follow or not, regardless of whether people understand or not, wherever he leads us. Okay, so this is a real dis- determination, but it gives us that freedom of heart that allows us to then lead other people in the footsteps that Jesus has marked out for us. And here our lady is just an amazing example. Not only will she lead them here, but she will end up leading them as he leads us through that terrible dark valley of the cross. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So I wanted to focus in with you on trying to understand Mary as a leader during the apostolic life of Christ. So as he's on the road preaching, what was Mary doing? How was Mary influencing the world for her son and being a mother to her son while he was on the road? There's a different, lot of different things you can suppose. There's a lot of different, you know, advantage points on this and many different believers, many different saints have different, you know, uh, understandings of this. Uh, but but from the, just the point of view of Scripture, there's not much. There's not many references to Mary's activity in an overt way during this period. And, and there's one, however, that's of importance that I want to look at with you, which is Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 49. It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, this is a very important moment. And and many people interpret this as Jesus kind of renouncing his mother and saying that, you know, she's separated from him. But I don't think that that's the right way to look at it. And it certainly isn't the way that's consonant with Catholic tradition. But that, that reveals to us, though, something even more important. If Jesus isn't renouncing his mother, then what is he doing? He's revealing to us what was really at the heart of the Virgin Mary during this period in his life. As he's out on the road preaching, Mary is one who is doing the will of the Father in heaven. Okay, so this is why, again, it's so important to look at Mary as a leader 
Because most of us, if we look at our lives, are really living lives of great insignificance with respect to the world. Um, uh, there's, I, unless you're the president of the United States right now, you know, like, you know, or you're the head of some sort of huge global international company, but you're not, right? And so you could say, well, my life is insignificant and therefore I'm not really being able to make a difference in the world. And, and yet Jesus is revealing that the most significant person in his life, his mother, is great because she is someone who does the will of the Father in heaven. So the real question then for Mary, what is she doing is at, during this period of Christ's life? It, she's conformed to the will of the Father. She's living in the will of the Father. And more than living in it, she's doing the Father's will. Mary's obedience to the Father is what our Lord is, is emphasizing as the most influential, most substantial action that she's doing. The greatness of Mary as uh, during this time of apostolic life of Jesus is that in whatever she's doing, she's doing the Father's will. This goes all the way back, of course, to the Annunciation when the Father, the angel Gabriel speaks to her and she says, let it be done unto me according to your word. And then she gives birth to the son and she takes care of him as, as time goes by. And she's constantly at the work that the father gave her to do, which is mothering the son. Now, it's just that that is a hidden type of leadership. It's hidden, but it's the most profound. Many of us today make the mistake of identifying leadership with power. And power is the tool that a leader uses in order to extend their influence. But leadership in its essence is not identifiable with power. Mary had no power in the sense of a social leverage that she could, she could use. I mean, I guess she did it kind of, right? She was, she was somebody's aunt. She was somebody's sister, right? So she could use those type of things. But in the greater society, Mary really counted for, for nothing. And yet she was, in her essence, totally given over to whatever God wanted to do with her. And evidently, God wanted to do a lot with her, right? When we look at what has Mary's, Mary's role throughout history, from the Marian apparitions that we've enjoyed upon the earth, to the inspiration that she's given to countless Christians, to all of the, the, the intervention that she does every day in the life and the souls of so many people, right? Like Mary has been given by God a great prerogative. As Catholics, we believe she was crowned as queen of heaven and earth. Right, that she, she reigns with Christ, not equal to him, but under him completely, and yet been given a, a special role. Right? So, that, I mean, when you look at it from, from the point of view of our faith, Mary's been given a lot of power now, but while on earth, right, well, where did her power come from? Where did her ability to extend her influence come from? Totally whatever God wanted to do with her life. Well, that's a lot more than what any of our strategizing or our, our choices could ever lead us to be able to do, All right? So Our Lady here gives us a, a doorway into how each one of us is called by God to lead, to be surrendered to him totally. Now, what would your life look like if you were that way, especially if you have various uh, forms of social power? I mean, how could you leverage what you have for God? First question is, are you willing to do the Father's will? There's a lot of us today that aren't, right? We're, we're so clinging to the various control mechanisms we have in our own life that we don't even really, we're not sure that we want to do the Father's will. 
Well, I mean, there's a first step in Marian leadership, so to speak, right? If we want to listen to the Virgin Mary, she's literally, Jesus is praising her. Who's my mother? Whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my mother. That's what he says, right? So to be like Mary, we have to, first of all, be willing to do the will of the Father in heaven. And the way you realize that what Mary's showing us is that true leadership, Christian leadership, requires a surrender to God. And that's like a spiritual jump that most of us spend our whole life just trying to do, to let go and to let God, to, to, to really accept that my life's trajectory will be determined by the Father, right? So of course, and that's with us, we make decisions, we have aspirations, we try to do things, but radically we're surrendered to whatever the Father wants to do through us. And that's Mary's unique power at the same time. Because it seems like it's a diminution. It seems like, you know, that's a lessening of what we do. And no, that's actually an accentuation. Just like you could say, Mary, if you were really involved with Jesus, you'd be helping him with his miracles and you'd be out there teaching people too. You know, what's the value of a mother who silently follows or even at times stays with the family while Jesus is preaching? Right? That, that's really the question. And how can that be influential? And the answer is, it's influential if it's done in God. And if it's not done in God, you kind of wonder if it's really influential anyway. Like, what are we trying to prove if we're doing something outside of God and we're trying to build a life that's independent of his influence on our life? Will we really, in the end, be you know, able to effectuate a change that's worthwhile? what's our life for if we're not doing it with God? That's the challenge that Mary gives to us. In the simplicity of her submission to her state in life, Mary issues a challenge to all of us. She's saying, in other words, like I, I'm doing the will of the Father and therefore there's nothing better or more influential that I could do. Now it took until her death, of course, that we f suddenly found the real weight of her influence as God then glorified her, right? Her assumption into heaven her, and her coronation as queen of heaven and earth. But even while she was still on the earth, the motherhood that she exerted over her, over the apostles, right? All the invisible workings that she would have, have been a part of as a member of the church. All of this was done in a way hidden to the world, but I think that that's the message. That's the lesson for all of us. We mustn't let the world define our influence. We have to let it be in the hands of God. Is there really anything greater that we could possibly do than the will of the Father on earth? Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.